Praise the Lord. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And so goes the refrain of a hymn that was written. It's called Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. It was authored by Julia H. Johnston in 1910. Grace never goes out of style. Grace never gets old. Grace is not something that wears out. God's grace is forever. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, the songwriter put down, freely bestowed on all who believe. The key is what does it mean to believe? We're going to go there at some point. All who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? There are many, many songs that have been written about God's grace throughout the ages. Most well-known might be Amazing Grace. It was written by a former slave trader. Did you know that? Yeah. He had moved thousands of men, women, and children from their homelands to other lands. He was driven to prayer during a violent storm. And it was there that he realized that even though he was a despicable man, he realized that God heard his prayer. And that was in 1748. He then knew, without a doubt, that God heard him, and eventually he repented of his vile slave trade. He got rid of that profession, and he became a preacher. You believe it? Slave trader to preacher. Except for the grace of God, there go I. I, too, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In 1772, he wrote that hymn that we know so well, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His name was John Newton, and his story is in itself a testimony to the grace of God extended to those who surrender. You see, because God's grace is there. And we need to avail ourselves. We need to surrender into God's grace. We need to allow Him. Because we have free will. We can put up our hands and say, no, not for me, God. That man was forgiven a great debt of sin. And so has yours truly been. Surrender to God's grace is the title of the message today. It's the only way that anybody can be delivered from the body of sin that we've attached ourselves to. It's the only way out. It's the only way to be delivered from the depths of depravity. Surrender to God's grace is the message of the gospel. Christ himself began his earthly ministry by preaching and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's found in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. And that can be stated as surrender to God's grace for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is the key idea found in that song that we sung, 
called holy water. God, I'm on my knees again. God, I'm begging, please, again. I need you. I need you. Dead man walking, slave to sin. I want to know about being born again. I need you. And as we sang, I don't want to abuse your grace. It's the only thing that makes me really want to change. I thought of that, and I thought so much of the church today says, I want to abuse your grace, God. Your grace is free. It's mine. It's mine. And with pride we go on sinning. And God says, no more. We need to surrender. The one we called Jesus told everyone, if anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And what was his life but a life of surrender? It was a life of sacrifice. It was not a life of self-indulgence. And too much of the church has lost its way today. And we need to get back on the path, folks. And I'm not calling anybody out here. I'm not accusing anybody. What I'm saying is I see with the eyes that God gives me in His Word that He's calling His people out of depravity. We need to surrender to His grace. I want us to open the Word today to the seventh chapter of Luke's Gospel record. If you want to open the Bible there, you can find that on page 1595, I believe. That's Luke chapter 7. Fifteen ninety-five. Wouldn't hurt if I'd pull it up first, huh? Fifteen ninety-five. And we're going to read verses 36 to 50, but before we do, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, please anoint our eyes with spiritual eye salve that we may see. Help us to be poor in spirit, Lord. Help us to be those who mourn. Help us to be those who are meek and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Search us, O God, and show us our sin, that we may turn from it and become like Christ, holy and merciful, pure in heart and peacemakers. Cleanse us from the secret faults, Lord, and please use your Holy Spirit to transform us into surrendered vessels for your use today. You are the potter. We are the clay. I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Luke chapter 7 beginning at verse 36 and reading through verse 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So he got an invitation. Might have been lunch, might have been supper. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, doesn't tell her what kind of sinner she was, or some commentaries might say she was a prostitute. And there's some allusions to that in the way that she did what she did. When she knew that uh, Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, 
and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, now Jesus knew what his thoughts were. And he said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so Simon said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 days wages and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Makes sense, right? Bigger debt, bigger sense of forgiveness. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. Judged? Judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. You notice he hadn't gone to the cross yet. But to whom little was forgiven... The same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. By God's grace through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. God, please add your blessing to the reading and hearing of your word today. This highly religious man, the Pharisee, was judgmental. He was judgmental of the woman and not only of the woman, but our Lord. Because our Lord dared to allow this woman to touch him. After all, she was unclean, she was immoral, she was lost in sin. And sadly, that's the way religion often treats people. I pray that none of you are ever treated that way here because we're not a religious institution. We are a faith community. We're a family of Christ. Religion's out the door. I'm not religious, and I don't want to be. I want to be relational. I want to get to know each and every one of you, and I want you to get to know me. That's what Christ did. He went out and he mingled with the people, the real people, not the religious people. The religious people he had nothing good to say for, or two. That religious guy knew she was immoral, and he criticized Christ. Now, when the Pharisee who had been invited, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, said, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. We don't know the exact words that he said, probably. He might have called her a name or two. And he judged Christ because he allowed him to touch her. Excuse me, her to touch him. Matthew, the one whose gospel record is named 
after him. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were cheats. They were liars. They were thieves. Matthew was an unclean man. And, and he relates a different account of something that happened after he began following our Lord. The Lord called him, come, follow me. And Matthew goes with him. And then Matthew, this is early in the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us there were Pharisees and non-religious folks who sat with our Lord. The one we call Jesus, Yahshua, is in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So you see, this is like a pattern with the Pharisees. You had to be clean to interact with them. You had to be sin-free, at least according to their standards, and their standards were pretty high. Thank you very much, Julie. So this Pharisee judged that these people were unclean. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And shunning sinners and judging them unworthy of forgiveness was their great sin. That was their sin. And it's the sin of many in religion today. We shun the sinners. Can't have those unclean people in here. After all, this is for believers. Jesus said, go out into all the highways and bring them all in. He'll sort them out. They had little compassion. They had no compassion in some, compassion in some cases. When Jesus heard it, though, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And if anybody ever tells you that sinners don't belong in the congregation of God's saints, you can tell them that, okay? Because Jesus himself said it. It's those who are sick that need a physician. And all of us, folks, have some manner of sickness, and he's working it out of us. And I'm not talking about physical sickness. I'm talking about spiritual sickness. But go and learn what this means, he said. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is the word of the Lord. God said, he desires mercy. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we may not continue in the body of believers living in a blatantly immoral lifestyle, something that goes against the word of God. We may not do that. We're not permitted to. It doesn't mean we can't come in. It means we need to turn from that sin. God doesn't want it in the camp. He doesn't want it in the body. He wants that old leaven to be purged out. His Word says so over and over and over. And leaven is sin. He wants the old sin out. He wants us to be cleansed, purified. And His Word is what works upon our souls with the power of His Holy Spirit to make that happen. This is why sometimes you might come under conviction under the preaching of God's true Word. Because the Lord is speaking to your heart because He wants to release you from whatever it is that's holding you back from doing what He wants you to do. And you have to recognize that there is no such thing as being too merciful in God's eyes. Although I've been accused of that. You're too merciful, Pastor. No such thing. God has extended or bestowed His mercy upon us, and He desires that we give mercy to others. It's written in Psalm 41, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. And all sin, as I told the children, all sin is against God. 
There's no, even though when you're sinning against someone, you're still sinning against God. And there's many passages of Scripture that reveal that. I'm not going to go into all of them for time's sake, but there are many. And if you want to look that up, we can sit down and look it up together. God's mercy endures forever. And there's many passages that state that very fact. God's mercy endures forever. And His grace brings us to repentance. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who does that? The Lord. The Lord does that. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, Psalm 102, verses 1 to 5. He does that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then we could turn it into a prayer. Forgive my iniquity. Heal my diseases. Redeem my life from destruction. Crown me with loving kindness and tender mercy. Satisfy my mouth with good things. Renew my youth like the eagles. There's a prayer there, and each of us can pray it. In the account that we read from the seventh chapter of Luke, we heard of a sinful woman lavishing attention upon Christ. And I can tell you that would make me very uncomfortable. I'm serious. If somebody was weeping behind me and wiping my feet, and all, I mean, that would really be very uncomfortable for me. But that's my problem. That wasn't Christ's. She cleaned the road filth from his feet with her hair. You know, when they walked on these roads, these roads also accommodated animals. And there was nobody walking around with a diaper behind the animals, okay? They, all this stuff was getting pulverized into dirt and it was getting on their feet. They were walking in this mess, and this is why the cleansing of feet was so important. They didn't always have uh, shoe coverings that covered every bit of their foot all the way up to the ankles. She used expensive perfumed oil to wipe away the stench. He had washed her sins away before he went to the cross, and he had cleansed her of the odor of her wrongdoing. And this is a picture of what Christ Himself has done for each of us. He's done this for us. Since going to the cross, He cleansed me of all my unrighteousness. He purged me of all my sin. He took away the stench of my wickedness. The Scripture makes it clear there's, the concept is in Scripture. I couldn't find a particular passage that actually says that our sin is like stench in the nostrils of God, although I've heard that many times. The concept is in Scripture, and He washed it all away. He washed it away. He made us clean. He made us clean. Can we give Him a praise for that? Amen. Let's praise God. He made us clean. He cleansed us from all unrighteousness. He took away all of our sin. He set us free from that depravity. He took us out of the grips of hell. He took away all that turned us away from Him, and He turned us to Himself. That's His work. 
It's a visible picture of grace. And He enables us by His grace. Almighty God, by His grace, enables us to resist the devil. And what happens when we resist the devil? Anybody? He flees. The favor that we've received without paying to receive it is God's grace. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but somebody have everlasting life. Amen. The central idea that I find in this message today is that we express our gratitude to God from a heart full of grace. Let me say it this way. The forgiveness that you receive empowers you to forgive and love others. We are enabled by the fact that we have been forgiven. We are enabled and we are empowered to forgive others. And the Lord in His Word tells us, it was Christ Himself said, forgive and you'll be forgiven. And then there's a little caveat on the end of that that says, don't and you won't. That's my paraphrase. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And if you don't, you won't. And you can never be too forgiving. I've been accused of that also. You're too forgiving, pastor. Can't be. Christ said to do it, so I'm going to do it. But you know, the converse is also true. God will use your standard of measuring others to weigh your action. Because you actually build the tape measure that He measures you by with the way that you measure others. With the measure which you use to measure others, God will measure you. And so when we're guiding ourselves by God's principles in His Word, we must be careful not to take it to some degree to become like the Pharisees. We can't deal with those sinners. We need to give every opportunity for anyone who's caught in sin to be released from it. But if they willfully refuse to step out of the sin and into the grace of Almighty God, at some point in time, His Word says to dust off our feet, and move on. I don't want to build a measuring tape that God measures me that's a little smaller than it I'd prefer it to be. So I have to look at how I measure others. And sometimes I'm accused of being too forgiving. Sometimes I'm accused of being too easygoing. Sometimes I'm accused of being too patient or too long-suffering or too compassionate. But those are the things that God has been with me. And I know I've been the recipient of God's grace. I have been forgiven. God has showed me His long-suffering, His hand on my life whenever I was caught in sin. And He took me out of it when I said, I surrender. I surrender. I don't want to be in this sin anymore. I'm not going to hide it anymore. There's not going to be a little bottle in my pocket. I'm not going to have a four and a floor and a fifth under the seat. God set me free. 
And I know He can set each and every one of you free from whatever sin it is that you've been caught in because it's a snare of the devil. And God has the way to set you free. Surrender to His grace. Simply surrender to His grace. Surrender. Yield. Allow Him to baptize you with His grace. When we recognize our sins and confess them, it's written in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Hear this now. When we recognize our sins and confess them, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All means all. But it doesn't mean we can go on sinning. He will forgive you. When you surrender, when you yield to Him, when you allow Him to pour His grace upon you that draws you into His presence, He will take out that heart of stone. He will put in a heart of flesh. He will drive you to Himself. I'm talking from experience. I know this. The sad thing is that the part that's often overlooked in this transaction, and it is a transaction, if we confess our sins, He is faithful, if, if, if makes it conditional. If we confess our sins, you don't get forgiveness if you don't confess. If you don't acknowledge that you are, in fact, in sin, unless you acknowledge that you're in sin, you do not receive His grace. It's not there for you. He says, if, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins and turn to Him, we don't just confess them. Okay, God, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, appreciate what you've done for me. And then we go back to whatever it is. This is a glass of vodka for those of you who didn't know. And I know I've done that before in other services, other messages. No, it's not. It's water. Pure distilled water, H2O. If we confess our sins, and what's implied there is then. Then He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's grace is immeasurable. There is no measuring device that you can say, well, I've gotten to the end of God's grace. I guess I'm done for. No. But don't go on sinning expecting that somehow that you're going to have something that you don't have. There's too many in the church today, or, yeah, I would say in the church and in the world, that think we can just go on sinning. We can just go on doing whatever we want, because after all, we got God's grace. It's called greasy grace or slippery grace. Hyper grace. It's a lie from hell, but it feels good. Hey, after all, if I can just go on sinning, what do I need to repent for, right? Repentance is a work. Jesus said to do it, but, you know, my preacher said I can go on sinning, so I like the way I feel in my sin. Everybody does until they don't. And that's the thing about sin. Eventually, you don't feel good in it. And anybody who's ever been addicted to anything can tell you that. It gets to a point where you just can't stand it anymore. How many have ever smoked cigarettes and quit? Got a whole lot of hands showing. Yep. You just love them cigarettes after you get past the initial phase of being sick all the time when you're smoking them. Then you get to that place where you're enjoying that chemical that surges through your bloodstream. And then you get to a place where you're like grabbing one and you're saying, what am I doing this for? You get sick of it. Now, some people never do. 
But I believe God's people were called out of that. Defiles the body. I know people that, I remember a friend of mine, he was 25 years old. He was drinking two-fifths of vodka a day, and everybody at that time drank, including yours truly. Two-fifths of vodka a day. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Fred, I'm really worried about you. We had just buried a friend of ours a, a little while before that. It was a couple, about four years earlier, <clears throat> and I think back. This was 1984. Fred was 25 years old. I said, Fred, I'm really worried. I, I don't want to see you in a box. I said, I know it's none of my business. I said, but I'm really concerned for you. And he thought for a moment, and then he said, yeah, you're right, John. He said, it's none of your business. Two weeks later, he was dead. Two weeks. Two weeks later, I got the call from his mother. She's crying on the phone. She says, Johnny, I'm, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but Freddie's dead. Freddie's dead. He had passed out, was taken to the hospital. They didn't know that he had a two-bottle-a-day habit, and he was detoxing without detoxing. And his heart blew up. We can't take God's grace for granted, folks. I don't know the condition of that man's soul. It was a long time ago. But I know that it broke my heart at that time. But I at least said something to him. Being a watchman, I need to tell all of you, God's calling you out of your sin, whatever it is. You know what it is. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is. That's between you and him, and you've got to take it to him, and you've got to say, God, I'm done. Take this away. I don't want it anymore. You've got to turn from it. And if you're enjoying it, then you've got to really go to him and say, God, take this away. Make me not want it anymore. The idea of free grace is, has been twisted by Satan's ministers who teach people that they can sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. But that's not what God's Word says. God word, God's Word says there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. It's not meant for you. It's meant for those who rebelled against God. Hell wasn't created for people. But unfortunately, we too have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. We may not continue in sin and expect somehow that everything's going to be okay because I want you to hear what's written in Matthew chapter 12. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man or a woman, they go through dry places seeking rest and find none. And this is Christ himself saying this, okay? So there's nobody that can dispute the words of Christ. Well, they can, but they'd be wrong. And this spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man or woman is worse than the first. And so shall it also be with this wicked generation. He said, you'll get cleaned up. You'll be cleaned up. God's grace will sweep the house. Everything will be clean. But then you step back into that sin. 
You take that thing that you know you're not supposed to take. You do that thing you know you're not supposed to do. And you open the door. And the floodgates, they're open. And the enemies come in. And they take over. And then you're wondering why you're so, it's so, wor- it's so much worse this time than it was the last time. Why is it harder to quit now? Because you have opened the door to hell and you have allowed the men to take over. Instead of repenting and staying in repentance, you have turned away from the cross. You have run headlong into hell. And it's no wonder you're overcome. And I'm telling you, folks, There are brothers and sisters that are lost in sin right now and they're sitting in a congregation like this and they will proclaim the name of the Lord and they're lost in their sin. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness to ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. This is what Peter says. You have people that are preaching it's okay to sin. I've heard it myself. I've heard it live myself. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage, or she. Whomever we are overcome by, we are in bondage to them. We are slaves to the error, slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome by them also they are brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions, who can say pollutions? Pollutions. If they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in those things that are prohibited by God, then they're overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it in turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. He says it's worse for you when you go back. Come out of the sin. Repent. Don't go back. You go back. It's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to keep getting worse. We want people set free. We do not want people caught in the traps of hell. We want people to be brought into the grace of Almighty God. And the only way that's going to happen is if we surrender. We must surrender to His grace. Throughout my life, I've seen too many people who have trampled the Son of God underfoot. Too many who have counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed, excuse me, sanctified, a common thing. I've seen too many who have insulted the spirit of grace. These things are written in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. It always causes me great distress to see a brother or sister that's trapped in sin. But it causes me greater anguish. Hear me, folks. It causes me greater anguish to see people wallowing in sin and not even trying to get out of it. That's worse. It's worse because there's no hope for them. Except for the grace of Almighty God, there's no way out. And I don't want to see anybody suffer in hell under my preaching because I didn't tell them. I must, as I said last week, I must deliver the word of the Lord. It's the only thing I have. The fact that God has forgiven me a great debt empowers me to be compassionate. 
So I know what it's like to be locked in sin, folks, okay? I know. I know what it's like. I remember people praying for me when I was attending services, and there were some people who would get up and move away because they couldn't stand the alcohol smell coming off my breath. They didn't know all the other stuff, but they could smell that. And I'd deny it. I was deep in denial. I didn't want them to think that this was really where I was when, in fact, I was, and they could tell that that's where I was, even though I pretended like I wasn't, and they prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me. And that debt was forgiven, and that's what empowers me to be compassionate. I seek through compassion to draw others into God's grace. The most compassionate thing I can do is to give you the true Word of God, folks. It would be unloving of me to not tell you what God's Word says. It would be unloving of me to keep my mouth shut when it's uncomfortable for me to deliver a message. As a minister of God's grace, I'm not permitted to overlook sin because all sin is against Almighty God, and that's who I serve. Those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven much extend much grace to others. We are to surrender to Almighty God. And how do we do that? Through Christ. We surrender through Christ to receive forgiveness that leads us onto that path where we too can have compassion on others. We must know the great debt that Christ has paid for us. Sometimes it's hard for us to forgive others. Sometimes it's hard for us to have that patience that we need to have with other people. Sometimes it's difficult because things don't go the way we want them to. Well, do you know what? Our lives have not gone the way God wanted them to go. But still He forgave us. Still He has compassion on us. Still He loves us. And you know, each year we hold a special service to remember Christ's death. And we're going to do that here this year, Good Friday, April 2nd. There's a community crosswalk where someone will carry a cross, they'll shift it off at different places. We'll start over at the Alliance Church on the other end of the town here, we'll walk through town, we'll have a stop here at some point, have a prayer, sing a lyric of a song, and I don't exactly have all the details yet. We're working that out, but we're going to hold a service here on Good Friday. And if you want to be a part of that, if you just want to be part of it as part of the audience, or you want to be a part of it and share something, maybe a testimony, whatever, we're going to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for all of us. I did that one year. I had a crucifix that was from my parents. I had it in a plastic bag because I was the speaker that year, and I drugged the bag up when I got in the pulpit, and as I was preaching, I brought that crucifix out, and I said, this is to remind us of what He did. That's why people have those crucifixes, to remind us of what He did. He took away our sin. When we surrender to the grace of God, He comes down upon us like a flood, and He removes it. We don't have it anymore, so why would we run back into that prison that He set us free from? I don't want any of you to be imprisoned. I want you to be set free, and it's only God's grace that will set you free. Surrender to His grace. We have to know the great debt that Christ paid for us.
In Luke chapter 9, it is written, Our Savior said to everybody, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Deny their self. Deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Seriously, God, that's a lot to ask. Denying myself? Yes, denying myself. This is what he asks. This is what he says. If you desire to come after him, you desire to follow him, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. For whoever desires to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. You lose that life that you love, and you live your life for Him. Surrender to the grace of God every day, and He will turn you away from all of those things that displease Him. In Hosea chapter 6, it is written, Come, and let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. You see, God does spank His kids. He spanks His children, okay? I shouldn't say kids. Kids are children of goats, children of Baal. We're the children of God. He will bind us up. Sure, He's stricken us, but He'll bind us up. He's torn but He'll heal us. And remember what's written in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. That is the Word of God. As I wrap this up, I want you to remember what we find in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. It's a real simple passage. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Can we all read that together? Is that up there? Yes, it is. Okay. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Surrender to God's grace every day. That's the only way, folks. Every day. If there's anybody who wants prayer, if there's anybody who's concerned about their eternal soul, if there's anybody that's locked in sin. If there's anybody that's caught in addiction right now, I want you to come forward. Put your head down in shame if you want, but come forward because we need to pray for you, okay? We need to pray for you. Let's get you out here on this altar, okay? And we will pray for you, folks. We need you up here. Paula, come on. Just, just kneel down. Kneel down. Anybody, please. Somebody else. I know there's somebody else here that needs prayer. I'm serious. I know it. I know it. We need to come up, folks. We need to have God's grace come over us. We need to surrender to God's grace, okay? There's no other way. You, look, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of Christ. He has the power to overcome every sin, any sin. There is no sin that's too great for Him. There is nothing in this world that can keep you from Him when you surrender it to Him. You need to understand this, folks. Anybody that wants to pray, please come up and we'll pray for these folks, okay? I know this is God's will today that we pray. I know it. I'm absolutely certain of it. I knew when I was putting the message together. 
I didn't see your faces. I didn't see everybody here. But I'll tell you what, I've got some oil here. If you don't mind, I'm going to put some. If you don't want oil, just put your hand up and I won't put it on you. All right? Heavenly Father, I'm going to lift each and every one of these people up to you, Lord God. They want to serve you. They want to be set free. They want no sin in their lives, Lord. They want to do what you want them to do, Father. And so I'm anointing them with the oil of gladness. I want them to understand and know that you and you alone are sovereign. You're the one that can take away anything, Lord, that they're caught in. Anything that's separating them from you. Anything, Father. It doesn't matter what it is because I know your word is true and you tell us that you will set people free, Father. You tell us, Lord, that they no longer have to be filled with sin. They no longer have to be caught in that sin, that the snare of the devil can be removed. And so, Lord God, I lift them up to you. Whatever it is that ails them, Lord, I ask that you would fix it, that you would fill them, that you would cover them, that you would baptize them in your spirit, that you would cover them, Lord, completely with your grace as they surrender to you right now. And I pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Christ. If anybody else wants to pray, in English, please, if anybody else wants to pray, please pray now.